Salutations. <coughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm blatantly keeping that in there. I'm your host, Swami Varakis, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, my wife, the illustrious Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hi. Have you calmed the fuck down now? I have. Since our last episode. I have calmed down. I have now taken the conscious step to just remove myself from the world slightly. As in like an outwardly like ethereal spirit. Yeah, I'm just going to cocoon myself. Right. In my home. And just concentrate on getting Bubs used to being in his cot and out of our room. Yes, he has his own room now. You know, I see, I didn't even get my own room at that age. I waited till I was like... 10 or 12 yeah, I had to share before I finally got my own room. You know, yeah. I was sharing with my brothers. And so he's got his own room, yeah. cot to himself, jamming. Yeah, he's loving life. He will do a complete like 360 around his cot yeah. through the night. You know like that, you know when that Homer in that cartoon where he's like, he's like on the floor and then he's running and he's running yeah. in a circle. That's exactly what he does through the night. That's what he does. So I'm like, how did he end up there? <laughs> Yeah, he's funny. He also likes to try and reduce our lifespan by um, sleeping with his face in the pit in the um, mattress. Yes, he likes to smother himself. Yeah, yeah. Or try to. We won't let him do that, obviously, because we have to get up through the night and turn his face. And multiple times of the hour. Yeah, everyone keeps saying, "No, it's fine," because he's okay. He can lift. Yeah, his that's head. right. With all their normal babies that just do normal stuff. And then there's hours that finds like 64 million ways to kill himself. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Um, yes, we won't let that happen. So it's fine. No. But he's asleep right now. Yeah. Let's so hope got, he stays asleep. Yeah. So exactly. Let's let's keep things calm. Jojo B, don't go off on a you just keep your incredibly tangent, uh, an incredible tangent rant. You don't make sense again, once yeah, again. Um, but also, you have a tendency to get really loud on the podcast, so just keep your voice. Who was down. loud on the last podcast, fam? I got impassioned. No, you were loud. You I were loud. an irresponsible parent, is what you were in the last podcast. I don't carry on eating while my our bubs was asleep. But anyway, back to matters at hand. So you know, you know, we're quite a professional unit here. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. She says, "Was she like?" I'm not eating cherries while doing this. Can I tell you that summer in Britain produces the best berries ever? You heard it here first, people. Honestly, cherries, raspberries—I've got it all in this bowl right next to me. Raspberries. Raspberries, yes. Yeah, but yeah, we're quite a professional unit. So when it comes to our shows, we plan, organize, and prep weeks in advance and then we have a schedule on you know on a week by week basis on exactly what we're going to talk about during that particular episode (laughs) you know so when it comes to the planning we're well and truly prepared beforehand that's how professional he means minutes before yeah so we were scheduled to record this podcast last night and then we pretty much sat down and we were like um so what are we talking about today then (laughs) 
I was like, I don't know. I thought that was your idea. No, that was your idea, bro. No, I'm trying to keep our baby alive all day, every day. So it's not on me. Yeah, well, I'm I'm the breadwinner here. So I'm out <laughs> earning, earning like the papes. It's not even a real job. Fuck off. <laughs> like, at least I've got a job. Man's getting paid still. Man's waiting for me. But anyway, so we literally didn't have fuck all to talk about. We were like, shit. And we were like, what about this? And we're like, no, we spoke about that last season. Uh, what about this thing? Oh, no, we kind of mentioned that like a couple of weeks ago already. So no point repeating that again. So we almost to a point like used up all our uh, options about what we could possibly do. <laughs> what the fuck are you laughing at? <laughs> Not being able to find the word option. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It's fucking sad. That's what I mean. Like, I've used up my options on the word option. Um, so. Sorry, the cherries have gone to my head. I need to stop. Yeah. And then we were like, do you know what? I, I'm, I've been involved in music for quite a long time. You know, you've also been a radio presenter and <laughs> like presented shows that involved music. And also worked for two years in the music industry. Yeah, for Warner Music. So we were like, how have we not discussed music at length on the Native Immigrants podcast? Especially because on our very first episode, we said we're going to be talking about film and music and tracks and songs and artists. And we and mentioned music. it once. Yeah, we haven't, really, we haven't really delved into music properly at all this entire time. I'm pretty sure I said to you a while ago that we should do this show. And you just dismissed it. Much like all your other ideas, ideas yes. that go in one ear out the other. So I decided that we should do a whole show about British Asian music. Woo-hoo. Yeah, thanks to me. But what it was specifically, like, because obviously we were featured on Tom Robinson's show, BBC Six Music last year. Why are you fuck off? Come closer to the mic. I'm this to make bastard it so that you is can't just, has basically sat all the way back, as far away from the microphone as possible, and then, so she'll sound like a little bit like this. No, I'll come You're forward. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to make I'm sure that you can't hear there. me and eating these cherries. Come forward and then come backwards like this, <laughs> and then come forward like this, and then come backwards like this. Unprofessional. I just don't want people to hear me eating cherries. Just well, don't like don't do that weird kind of like <laughs> no, seductive you. like twisting it between your tongue kind of stuff. <laughs> like that, Ian. Nah, like bruv, please. Popping cherries. That's some weird. <laughs> this is some like early noughties webcam shit right now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like you it's know, like a 56, Christina Aguilera video. Yeah, on the fifty-six K modem. <laughs> um, so yeah. British Asian music. So we were on Tom Robinson's show last year on on Six Music. Yes, we were. Uh, thank you so much to Tom Robinson for allowing us to be a part of his awesome show. And we promoted the podcast, but also spoke about um, landmark tracks in the British Asian music industry we for did. the last like 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of looked at tracks that not necessarily say our favourites, but more tracks that are obviously big tracks uh, for our communities our culture yeah songs that we liked but yeah represented a wider kind of movement yeah exactly whereas i thought with this show we'd go back in time over the course of time and look at the music that has basically had a you know a lasting impact on us through our childhood through growing up in our 20s and our 30s and the things that have stood out to us in all that time there's been so much music so many tracks it's just crazy it was supposed to be we pick our top five each yeah that's how it started i have a top 25 yeah 
<laughs> yeah, you can't. Jojo B can't narrow anything down in life. No, because if you ask me about right, if you ask me about music right now, I have to say I've been out of touch completely, and I have no clue. If you ask me about the '90s and the noughties, mm. I can give you an endless list of music that I love. Yes, yes. Well, this is what we're going to tackle here. Originally, we started thinking, what about talking about our top five tracks, um, and then I pick five, you pick five, and then you know we opened it out to our followers and our listeners and we got an amazing reaction from people so many people getting back to us with suggestions of their favorite tracks tracks that stood out for them in their lives and then it kind of triggered things like, oh my god yeah remember that track and so but you know what was really nice with that was that so many of the suggestions were things that we had put on our list or had discussed. Hmm. And it just made me realise that we have the right type of person listening to exactly. us. Exactly. Our demographic you know is what? sick. We're like soulmates, us and our listeners. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're one big family with a similar ethos and a taste for really good music. Yep. And so it was great to see the amount of uh, suggestions from people, but also the quality of suggestions from people really good you know and, and some that made us laugh some that did make us laugh <laughs> we will talk about those over the course of the show um but what we will talk about really is from a personal standpoint you know tracks that have really been rewarding and fulfilling for us in many number of ways lots of good memories lots of great <laughs> memories and take ourselves back in time jojo v <laughs> yeah so let's go back to our childhood now how far back? Well, okay. So basically, we did get a l number of suggestions uh, from people for tracks from the 80s. Now, you know, we were, I was like, you know, the early part of my life during well, the I was 80s. born in 83. So I was teeny tiny. Yeah. So how much of that music at that age could we really appreciate? Um, The thing is, it's like, it's like the background music of my early childhood. So stuff that was playing in the house or in the car hmm. when I was little was yeah. a lot of Bangla music that we would go to. So like we lived in Newcastle, but a lot of family in Derby. We used to go to Normanton Road in Derby. Hmm. Every time we went to Derby, we used to go to Normanton Road and go to the tape shop. <laughs> yes. And buy loads of tapes to listen to on okay. the way back home to Newcastle. Right. Yeah. Before we go any further, hmm. uh, for those who are listening who are under the age of 25... What's a tape? A tape is the, it was like one of the most important. I can't believe I'm having to tell people this. Artifacts of my childhood. I, it just played such a huge part of my childhood, the tape. Yeah. Did you guys, what did you, did you call it tape? We call it cassette. Uh, I, well, we call, I called it tape because, you know, I had like English friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. But at home. They were cassette. Cassette. Yeah, cassette. Yeah, so yeah the, the cassette over there. Yeah. In a in a cabinet of them. My, uh, do you know what it is? My parents still have them in the cabinet. My dad Standard. refuses to get rid of them. Because But the thing is, there's nothing they've got to play them with. Exactly. We've got a cassette tape player. We have. We do have a cassette tape player. <laughs> Sorry, we do have a cassette tape player. I went to look at it. <laughs> it's very bad. Just did it again. Okay. Um, we do have a cassette tape player, which we haven't... I need to bring all my cassettes. All my first mm. albums were on cassette whichever ones haven't been chewed the fuck out basically because that most of my cassettes that ended up happening at one point or the I've other got so many i've got park life by blur on, on completely tape. irrelevant to the show i know but they were, i was a, i was a proper like indie chick yeah we were forwarding way forward in time take your take your 
Oh right, okay, fine. No, but we've 80s. also got like Safri Boys, and we've got like a LARP, and yeah, see, this and all of those people. They, I mean, I didn't buy those. My dad bought those. Yeah, but okay. So people like you know, we talk about the first real wave of British Asians, you know, creating music here in the UK. It started mm-hmm. for I guess from the seventies, but once it got to the eighties, it got to this golden era of Bhangra. Yeah. So guys like Hira and Alap and DCS, Apna Sangeet. yeah, Safri Boys, Bremi. Yeah, all that. We've got all of them. We yeah. saw all of them at weddings as well. They always used to perform at the weddings that I went to. Absolutely. But you know what? Because uh, we were in a Gujarati household. Like that kind of music never really like touched base with us. It's not your culture, is it? Yeah. Because, uh, but growing up in Southall, we were exposed to a lot of it. Yeah. But it wasn't anything that we would listen to at our house because it was like, well, that's... That's their music. That's the Punjabi music. This is a different language. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, my parents, well, my mom understands Punjabi, but even then it wasn't it wasn't something that we would listen to or vibe to. We were mostly listening to like Bollywood soundtracks. Mm. You know. Also Bangladesh is in like like Tate Punjabi. It's in like proper full on Punjabi. Like I don't yeah. some I don't understand some of it. Because it's not conversational Punjabi, a lot of it is like proper. Yeah. And so if you've got a grasp of Punjabi, great, but you probably still won't understand the full meanings of the songs. Yeah, yeah. Like I used to have to get my dad to explain a lot of the songs. No, exactly. But also there was a lot of tracks, the the meanings of a lot of those tracks back then were also very, there was political, yep. like folk Bhangra songs, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't get so much nowadays. Some ones that will just break your heart. Yeah. Because they're so sad. No, exactly. And plus, they were talking about things from a British Asian perspective. We watched that documentary on Pump Up the Bangla that Bobby presented. Mm. And you had that Bulbir Bujangi talking about, you know, working in the foundries mm-hmm. and the, the graft and the grind of, you know, basically trying to make a name for yourself mm-hmm. here in the UK. Yes, yeah, so that's where my dad and my uncles all used to work. The exactly. foundries in, in the Midlands. This is it. So, you know, yeah. so it's, stuff, it's stuff that people could relate to as well. Yeah. And also, it was quite wholesome. You know, there was a lot of wholesome music, I felt like. I mean, I think the things that those bands got up to weren't quite so wholesome. No, obviously, yeah, exactly. No, I can imagine the uh, after-show parties at some of these events must have been like yeah. mass Punjab orgies. I don't want to think about it. But, you know, the tracks like Bobby and Bobby, they're nice, they're nice, wholesome songs. I love that song. So, okay, so if you were to, if you were to have one track from, from this era that you, could, that you would like to, you know, to oh my God, sum you up can't your narrow period... It down. No, you can't narrow it down like that. I do love Aparna Sangeet. By Aparna Sangeet. Sangeet. <laughs> yes. The imaginatively titled Aparna Sangeet. Because it's Apana a tune when it comes on at weddings and stuff. Yeah. Everyone dances to it. Yeah. But there's loads. There is loads. There is a loads, loads of songs. Loads. I mean, you can't narrow it down because each each of those bands had a handful of very, very, very iconic songs. No, exactly. So. And, that, and that's the one great thing about the 80s in comparison to, I think, any other time period since. Maybe the late 90s is, is probably the closest comparison. But songs that are still timeless when it comes to weddings and parties and functions, you know, those tracks are still played to this day yeah. at all of the... But you wouldn't... You say you wouldn't hear like a track that came out, say, five years ago in a, in a wedding and a function now. Or like one that even came out, say in the late 2000s, you know, but you will hear the tracks from the 80s and the late 90s. It depends I think, still. With Bhangra, I think there's like certain songs that become iconic from each era, from each decade. Yeah, absolutely. There are some songs that will be timeless. But that, that was a, that was a, like, it was a golden era for that music because there were so many timeless tracks from so many different bands. And also those guys had come from India. Yeah. 
And so not only so I listen, I I know my pronunciation with Punjabi, right, can be really off. I know that. Um, I never learned like I never went to Punjabi school and all that stuff. So I just Mm. whatever I heard at home is how I speak it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I get things very wrong and everyone laughs at me. And I can hear that in Bangra songs from like now, Mm. from when people from here are singing them. Yeah. It's how we all speak Punjabi, I suppose. So it's like it just reflects us as yeah. our generation. Mm. But I know the difference between how they're saying things and how it's supposed to be said. Yeah, of and so they're bringing their knowledge of Punjabi and the Punjabi language and how to be poetic with it. They're bring, they've brought that with them yeah, from yeah. India. And so it just sounds more authentic. Mm. And yeah. it, then they had that kind of like that sound. I suppose it's like the sound of the foundries. They had that kind of... It's a sound. raw yeah. kind of, you know, there was, like I said, because it was a live band, there was a lot of raw organicness to it. Yeah. Where you don't, which you no, wouldn't normally get basically from, you know, the digital music that we have now. Yeah. Um, you know, the 80s was obviously great for that. Like I said, from my perspective, growing up in Southall, we were exposed to a lot of Punjabi, exposed to a lot of Bhangra music, um, but obviously couldn't really relate to it because, you know, we're Gujarati. So the closest that I got or the family got in terms of British Asian music during that time period was probably someone like Nazia Hassan. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because, you know, she, mm. yeah, she was obviously here, um, but she really made her name in, in Indian cinema, in Bollywood, yeah. with the Gurbani soundtrack. Yeah. And and obviously she became a superstar overnight. Yeah. There was this young, fresh voice. I hadn't really heard anything like that in Indian cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she obviously, with her brother, released a number of tracks uh, and albums here in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I think her, the indie kind of pop that kind of she had was very accessible for a lot of our communities here in the UK. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, a track like, say, Disco Diwani. Exactly. Massive, massive track, you know? massively huge track um you know even boom boom that these are these were all like big big tracks and not just you know like we talk about like the way asian communities are now where everyone segregates themselves that was like a collective thing where on mass asians loved nazia hassan yeah and you know sadly we lost her to lung cancer at the age of 35 um, you know, so was she, she 35? yeah, it was wow. really, really sad. Um, and cause she, you know, she was already a superstar, but she could have gone on to be even bigger yeah. than what she actually was. But my, my bar loved her. My mom loved her. So we'd listen to her music basically being played in our place. So yeah, you know, I guess from that time period, I guess Nazia Hassan would sum up our British Asian musical experience. Does Balisagu come under the eighties? It was started in the late eighties, didn't it? Yeah. So by the time 89? it get, by the, yeah, by the time it get to the late eighties, we started to see, I guess, more and more of the youth get involved with like Asian music, but the fusion of Asian and Western urban music. I just remember Johnny Z. <laughs> Johnny Z, yes, <laughs> man like Taz from Stereo Nation. <laughs> I'm related to, to him, you know, through marriage somewhere along the way. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. He's days. like from my cast, so you know, we all. Is he from of... your pinned? Uh, yes. Big up. I think yes. So that we have a pinned connection. Yes. So are you a Johnny Z fan or are you a Taz fan? Taz, Stereo Nation. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Z was like kind of. I was you, too young for Johnny Z. Yeah, he's quite funky looking as well in terms yeah. of his look. I used to know so many people who fancied him though, like some of my older cousins and stuff. Like what? 
fair, fair play. Um, but yeah, Johnny Z kind of made his name towards the, towards that part of the late eighties, um, and then yeah, we kind of started seeing a uh, transition into kind of the the bungra mixed with kind of I guess during that period you had like a little bit of electro, um, a bit of house, a bit of reggae, a bit of dub. Yes, that reggae dub kind of influence was yeah. pretty huge. Uh, I guess the best proponent of that was Bali Sagu. Yes, he was. Yeah. From the Wham Bam albums, Essential Raga, um, you know, he fused a lot of kind of like reggae and dub. Obviously, the big track, Juralia, that came out, I guess, in 93, 94. But, yeah, you know, early days. But he'd already like set the set the stall of that from from those two projects. Cheshire Cat was on a lot of these tunes. Oh my God, Cheshire Cat. Cheshire Cat. Oh God, he just sums up a whole era, doesn't he? Exactly. Wow. Well, we actually had a, su- a suggestion from Rishi Copeland. Okay. Uh, for Dil Cheese. Dil Cheese. Yeah. Classic, classic Bali Sagu. Very good song. Yeah. yeah. But there was just like, there was a whole gamut of songs that he came out with that were brilliant. But Dil Cheese was the one where he was on Top of the Pops, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was like kind also, of that moment of like, oh my God, there's a brown person yeah. on Top of the Pops. I think, was, I think Chiralia was also in the top 40 at one point. Um you know, we 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 spoke about Juralia in more detail on Tom Robinson's show in Six yeah. Music last year. Um, so I guess Dil G's would probably be a better way to sum up that that time period. Yeah. Um, for with Bali Sugu because it was yeah it was a massive thing. Now we're finally seeing Asians on mainstream BBC top of the pops shows like that. You know, top of the pops doesn't even exist anymore. No, That's exactly. how old we are. Yeah. But um, yeah, we do. But not as many as we maybe should do. Yeah. Well, this is always my gripe with working in music. That's why I stopped wanting to work in music was because Asians still aren't taken very seriously when it comes to them wanting to make anything other than Asian music. Mm. And that really pissed me off. Yeah, yeah. So I just was like, I don't think I belong here. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Do you, um, especially from that that time period where, you know, it was still difficult seeing an Asian person on TV. Do you create music that is culturally relevant significant or do you just be an asian person making any kind of western music and then try to make a name for yourself that way i think you should be able to make the kind of music you want to make Mm. and if if you don't want to make it it's not in your soul to make in like asian sounding music you just want to make music general Mm. music of any sort of any sort any genre yeah then you should be able to do that and not be held back by the fact that you're asian and not and not be seen as be as trying to be something that you that you shouldn't be yeah which is how i felt asians were perceived when i worked in the music industry hmm yeah but i guess in that time period specifically it was probably a lot more difficult because amongst our communities it was it was there were big names and they were huge um you know amongst our circles and we spoke about the 80s with with alap and hira and people like that where they used to sell like fifty thousand cassettes and stuff but then never make it onto the main like the mainstream charts because of obviously the way that we used to distribute all uh, the stuff back in the day on records yeah. and shit like that. Um, but I guess seeing someone like Bali Segu do it the right way, making the kind of music that he wants to make and still be able to penetrate the mainstream charts, it was a huge thing. And I think thereafter, Apache, Apache Indian, took yes. it to a whole nother level there, you know, from there on. 
he was just so exciting and so fun. Yeah. Like he was having fun with music. Yeah. He wasn't kind of going into it. It didn't seem like he was going into it like really seriously. Obviously, he was a serious musician and he wanted to make mu good music, mm. but he just seemed to be having fun with it. And I think that was what was really refreshing about it. He wasn't trying to be too cool for school and all that kind of stuff. He was just having a laugh. Okay. But right. So with Apache, for me, he's a legend and he's a pioneer of British Asian music. Mm hmm. But he can also be a very divisive character with it, when it comes to his music. Why? Well, we've we've used the word before, and it's it's probably apt to bring it up now, uh, which is cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. Now, like for me, I've, we've we've spoken about this before on the sh on our show about cultural appropriation and how for us you know, mixing of our cultures between all our different cultures is a good thing. But whereas for someone like Apache making the kind of music that he wants to make and the the style and the vibe could be deemed that amongst the black community here. Are you before T seen like that? <sighs> Potentially? Again, because because I'm I don't I don't see things from that perspective, so I've never seen that from UB40. But if you speak to somebody within the reggae community, are UB40 looked at as a, you know, uh, a seminal group amongst those circles? In I comparison, don't know. I mean, who's the actor? I was going to say we need to get David Rodigan here. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. look at David Rodigan. No, true, very true. Yeah, you know, if you love a genre, and you and it's like in your. It's in your soul. Like I was saying, if Asian music isn't isn't in your soul, but another type of music is, yeah, is it cultural appropriation to then make that music? Like if Apache had wanted to do classical music hmm. and he was, you know, performing Mozart, yeah, well, you know, he's not was Mozart German or Austrian? He's not. European. He's not European. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what? So is he not allowed to make that music? Yeah, yeah. That's what I wonder. I think there's there's parodying and then there's making music because you love it. Yeah, yeah. And if it's not a parody, and I don't think he was a parody. No, that's that's one thing I can you can never label with Apache because then he went to you know Jamaica and West Indies, worked alongside big producers and artists from that time period. Um, you know, and he still continued to do that to this day. He's been a big proponent of reggae culture. Um, and he, you know, if you think about it, he took reggae from Britain to the world at one point. You know, Boom Shakalak was on Dumber Dumber soundtrack. You know, he was like doing stuff in the States, making a name for himself, went to India as well to to push that, you know, the the style of music as well out there. Yeah. Like I said, Apache Indian for me is a, is a massive legend. And maybe it doesn't get the same level of credit that he deserves. He doesn't get, I think because he's just been forgotten in the annals of time. So if you weren't there... Yeah, he's you're he's probably not that relevant to your life. Yeah, because that that type of music was really big hmm. in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, and so like you will remember, people will remember Aswad and people like, do you know what I mean? Like there was yeah, a so whole, cool. <laughs> there was like a whole kind of you know movement happening at that point within yeah. the genre, and so he was one small part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think if you weren't really there at the time, it's not going to be that relevant to you. No, but Apache's still making music now, still working with younger artists, still, you know, still out there on Mellars and the festival circuits. He loves music. He loves performing his music. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like I said, it's feel good music. It makes you it feel It is great music. Happy. Absolutely great music. Uh, Zizu Mimu. I don't know what her actual name is on Twitter. But she <laughs> recommended uh, Chuck Dare and Arranged Marriage to absolute classics yeah you know again two big tracks that we saw on top of the pops yeah you know so um big up apache indian uh for that time period yeah and i think that with any of the artists that we're going to talk about a lot of them could be could, could be accused of cultural appropriation because it's not our you know our music yeah as such but i think if you're as long as you're not just putting on a costume yeah you're actually living and breathing what you're doing yeah then I don't think it is cultural appropriation. No, absolutely not. And I relate it back to me because I was finally seeing people making music from Britain, Asians, that wasn't Bhangra, that was urban music. And that was incredibly inspirational um, because now I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this is, there's, a, there's an endless list of possibilities. We're not confined to this small bubble mm-hmm. of British Asians and the only music that we're able to make is, is Bhangra or mix Bhangra with something else. You know, this was real urban music. Um, and, you know, there was a number of artists that came out towards the late 90s. But, you know, I'm, I will touch on something that was uh, quite personal to me. Um, the first time I heard British Asians rap, mm-hmm. which was huge. And that was a group called the Caliphs. And um, they had an album called Seven Deadly Sins. And I, I don't even know how I came across it. I think I must have just loved the the look of it. And basically the album cover looks like some weird Illuminati shit. But there were two Asian MCs, Dufan uh, and Jabba the Hype. And, um, and, you know, this album was incredible to me because it was Asians rapping, like British Asian hip hop. And there was no Asian elements to it. There was no Bhangra elements to it. There was nothing Desi about it. It was straight up British hip hop. And it was a credible album. Um, and it even had DJ Muggs do a production on it, which was huge. Because you think a British band with the production from Cypress Hill's DJ Muggs, which is awesome. And, you know, this track here, Blood In, Blood Out, was, was so inspirational for me because it really got me into the process of thinking, wow, do you know what? I might have to start picking up the pen and putting my thoughts and vibes onto paper with my mindset because if other Asians here in the UK can do it, then why can't I? In a similar vein, so I mentioned that I was an indie chick. Yeah. I love that whole Britpop era. Yes. That was my thing, you know, in the kind of what mid-90s that was. Yeah. Echo Belly. Echo Belly, yes. Echo Belly was the first time I had seen an Asian woman mm. front a band, a guitar band. Awesome. Sonia awesome. from Echo Belly was like a hero for me when I was, what, 14, 15 years old? Definitely. You know, she was fronting a band and there was a bassist and a guitarist and some drums. And it was like, oh, my fucking God, she's on you know, Radio 1 and she's on top of the pops and she's not doing anything vaguely Asian at all. Yeah, yeah. Great Things by Echo Belly is one of those songs that just stays with me. It makes me really happy when I hear it. Along with Brimful of Asher by Corner Shop. Yeah, big up to... to it's Tajinder Singh. There's like a TJ. There's no... Tajinder. Tajinder, yeah. yeah. Tajinder Singh, yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, Brimful of Asher by Corner Shop. Um, huge. Because, okay, not only was it like an, a Britpop indie tune, but it was also talking about Asha Bonsley. Yeah. So the content was very relatable, but also it was like so fashionable for that time period as well, musically. Yeah. 
So it ticked all the boxes that you did. Again, you didn't have to make Bhangra. You didn't have to make Hindi music. You could make your music, the music that you want to listen to, but still have content that is like culturally relevant as well at the same yeah, time. Yeah, because he was just a guy like, you know, of our generation who was just talking about his experience in life. Yeah. You know, his experience of living in this country and listening to, you know, Asian music. Yeah. And the, the, the world that he grew up in. Yes. And that was really nice and relatable. Hugely. But on the other side of that, what are your thoughts on Babylon Zoo? <laughs> Do you know what? I think I have the same thoughts as everybody else. That bit that they, they speeded up for the um, advert, the Levi's ad, amazing. Yeah. And then we heard the proper version on top of the pops and was like, huh? <laughs> I just what? remember me and my brother just going, was it the sickening tastes, homophobic jokes, images of fascist votes? As in, as in the stuff that he's saying. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It was just like... We just thought it was going to be a different song. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. It was like two... Imagine you like, like get two tracks and then you just staple them together and, and fling it out there. Uh, and it got to number one. And do you know what? Like I remember this... I think I was in sixth form when this track came out. <laughs> Right, so we're all, all of us are just like watching the TV the same, like, eh? But you know what? It's a catchy tune, and once it's in your head, it does not it leave. Does not leave, and also like because it was an Asian guy, it just made it that much more epic because it was like, what the actual fuck? But also like a real pride-filled moment at the same time. Like you want to feel happy because this is happening, but then you also like. What the fuck is going on? Do you know what I've just remembered? Mm. It's not written down. It's literally just come to me. Yeah. White Town. Yes. I, I will never be your lover. I will never be your lover. Yeah, I think it's something like that. The reason yeah. I remember him is because he was from Derby. Was he? <laughs> yes. Oh my days. Is he one of your is he one of your cousins? No, he's not. I'm related to most of Dolly, but no, like, he's for, not. For son or something. No, it might be from somewhere along the way. Um, but uh, yes, White Town. White Town, Another yeah. Weird, he was like one of those kind of bedroom weirdos. Yeah, because <laughs> you never actually saw what he looked like. But uh, yeah, bedroom weirdos, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. We could either make be a Bhangra guy or he could be a bedroom weirdo. Wasn't his name Jyoti as well? Was it? I think so. Big up yourself, bruv. <laughs> you smashed it. Is that was that, is that your alias White Town back White in the Town. 90s? Yeah. Awesome. Can you imagine the money that I would have? Yeah, we wouldn't be living where we're living right now. Exactly. Fam. You know, but yeah, but you know what? Like I said, the, uh, oh the mid, God, this mid show's 90s. This going to go on forever because I'm going to keep remembering songs. Well, yeah. The <laughs> mid 90s was like a real interesting period because you had obviously guys that like Apache Indian putting tracks up, but then you also had Babylon 2 get to like number one with, uh, you know, Spaceman. Um, but then it started to transition into a whole new era. What, the late 90s? The late 90s and the rise of the Asian underground. And we're going to be talking about that right after this short break. Back to the second half 
of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we transitioned to the late 90s on our episode on British Asian music. Now, this is an era that fills Jojo B with glee and delight. Yeah, because I'd hit my teenage years at this point. You'd gone past puberty. Yes. So you'd fully become a lady. Yes. And with that, what did you come across, Jojo B? So I went from my indie chick phase in my so this early is your, teens. Like, weird emo, like I used to wear tie dye. Okay, that kind of great thing. look. I used to hang out with the the hippie crew at mm. school. Still do actually. There's still a lot of them are still my friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but so now we transition into this point where I'm like, who am I? I was in that teenage phase the of like identity years. What is going on? And that I just remember what like Madonna was wearing bindis. Mm. And I was like, she is taking my culture, cultural appropriation. Oh, yeah, She's wearing go. it as a costume. Yeah. I was really angry about this. And I was like, no, I'm going to take that back. And so I started wearing bindis to school. God said. Oh, is this the same time you wore your Punjabi suit for Halloween? Or was that... No, that was when I was in primary school. No, I was like, wear, I would wear a different bindi to school every day. And then my teachers would be like, you've got to take that off. And I'd be like, no, yes. it's my culture. You can't make me take it off. I was in that phase, that kind of difficult phase. Yeah. Um, and that's when I discovered there was this magazine called Second Generation. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I, I had a paper it. shop and it just turned up in Biker, of all places, where there were no Asians apart from us, <laughs> yeah. um, in our shop. And I was like, oh, what's this? When I was putting the magazines out one day. And I nicked it and went home and read it. And it was um, all about the Asian underground scene. Mm. And I was like, what is this? This sounds interesting. Mm. And I went off and discovered a whole load of new music and a whole load of new talent. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, Talvin Singh had won the Mercury Music Prize. Yep. And there was just this whole scene booming in London. And I was like, I need to move there and I yeah. need to be part of this. And my mom said, Chup karke beja. Yes. <laughs> you are not going anywhere. <laughs> you just shut up. Um, and Look how that worked out. Yeah, I know. I upped and left as soon as I could. Um, and yeah, and so I discovered Asian Dump Foundation. Yeah, ADF, I guess, you know, so we've we've gone past the times of the, you know, the, the indie guys that are Asian and the kind of fusion of the Asian and Western sounds of the early 90s. And we kind of got to a period now where there was uh, a kind of like a, a real taking back uh, of the cultural kind of sounds and roots, mm -hmm. but also putting across a whole new genre. Um, ADF, I guess, were the, were real, literally rebels, um, musically, sonically. It was just a sound that I'd never heard before. I was like, "What? What is this? Exactly, what is this noise that I'm enjoying very much?" Yeah. Um, and they were saying stuff that that was just so like political mm. and kind of fed into that like you know it, it kind of fed that hunger that I had within me yeah. of like wanting to be to make a difference and to like own my place in this world and all of that kind of stuff and I think there was a lot of people feeling that way with our generation at that in the in those days yes and um this is pre 9-11 obviously so like we hmm. we were like kind of angry but wanting to make a good positive change with that as well yeah and it was just it was just a real eye-opener i mean that that album ruffy's revenge mm. i can hand on heart say that that album changed my life wow because that was my incentive to look beyond 
My Little World of Newcastle. Yes. And being, you know, the only, one of the only Asians in my little crew mm. of friends. It was me and another girl who was half Pakistani who didn't really care about her Asianness at all. Okay. And I had been one of those ones that kind of didn't really speak about my Asianness with my friends. It just, it was, that was just, what I did it at home. Was what it was, yeah. yeah, I did that at home, but outside of home, I was just, you know, the girl. Good little jyoti that's going to make the roti on a Friday nights. Yeah, well, yeah. Nav is what everyone nav. used to call me, actually, okay. Nav. Um, so I found this kind of new voice mm, yeah. through that album and that just this whole new world. I wanted to live on Brick Lane and I wanted to, you know, just be part of this really creative group that hub. seemed to, there's yeah. A, this there's is, a real hub in East London for, for that sound. It, you know, yeah. like we talk about kind of, uh, you know, the Bronx when we talk about hip hop specific parts of the world and specific cities that originated this one sound yeah that's now become like globally universally renowned yeah and that part of london and even specifically even like the bangladeshi community yes from that side of london yeah um really took this sound to a whole new level i guess because like you were saying for you, as a Gujarati, Bhangra didn't mean anything to you. Yeah. It was the same for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so they were trying to find their voice through their own music. Yes. Um, and blend the sounds of their home life with the sounds of of what they were listening to and what they were into at yep. that point. And that's what ADF did so brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. And I heard this song called Naxalite. Hmm. And I come from quite a left-wing household and I had heard conversations amongst my dad and my uncles about the Naxals and, and that kind of whole, that, that movement that was, that was happening in India. Mm. Um, and then I heard this song and I was like, oh, other people talk about this stuff as well. It's yeah. not just stuff that my dad and my uncles talk that about. That chime on about on hours and end, basically, yeah. back home. Um, and... And then I kind of like, I thought I listened to this song and I spoke to my dad even more about the Naxalite movement. He explained what it was to me properly. Yep. And then I like, I listened to the rest of the album and I was like, yeah, these are my people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Ruffy's Revenge has so many like epic tracks on there. Yeah. Um, Black, know, white. God, well, we showcased Buzzin, Buzzin. on um, Tom Robinson's show last year in Six Music. Um, it was a really important track for me as well. Free Sat Pal Round. Yes, yes. But that whole album, every single song is a really good song. Absolutely, absolutely. Shout out to um, Suru Pereira, listener of the show. He recommended Rebel Warrior. Yes. Um, which I actually saw uh, performed live when they reunited yeah. for a one-off gig. That's uh, from their first album, the, I think. Yes, yeah. uh, but they, they performed that at the uh, Basaki Festival at Rich Mix. Um, and it was mad. It was like kind of like uh, the original lineup come together. Uh, this, it's the one and only time. I was so gutted. I missed that. Yeah. it was. Uh, they decided fucking up in a few words and things like that. Dida Zaman did. Um, but it was just great to see them all together for the last time. They've never actually done anything together since. But, you know, you know, we talk about that area. You talk about people that stayed at Bengal. Both Marsh and Shri. Yes. Uh, and then you've got, yeah, like I mentioned, Talvin Singh. And then you've got people like Nitin Soni. Yeah, well, exactly. The two, the Talvin Singh and Nitin Soni, I guess, are the two, like, the champions of that sound yeah. and that era. I'm a huge Nitin Soni fan. Huge. I've seen him a few times. Yes. And he is unbelievable. His back catalogue of albums are unbelievable yes um so the song that i had picked by him and it took me a while because i love the song nadia 
so much. Yes. Um, but the song that I picked was Homelands, mm -hmm. which was also suggested by Rishi Copeland, who had also mentioned the G's earlier. There you go. Um, because that song is like one of those songs that I used to hear at the end of a night of like clubbing. You know, like those kind of epic nights of clubbing that you yes. have. And then there's, I just remember hearing this song at the end of those nights mm -hmm. for, for a few of those different, like three of the few of those really good nights that I had out. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's an incredible song. Yeah, stunning song. And, you know, we've actually got, when it comes to Nitin Sony, we've got a bit of a mess up with us in that we were actually got tickets to see him at the Royal Albert Hall next month. And we can't go now. Because I stupidly booked a holiday. At the same time. Yes. Yes. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing him. I've never like, been to Royal Albert Hall. I was so excited about going there. And yeah. I can't believe that I messed up the dates. So yeah. if anyone wants these two tickets, by the way, let us know. We can sell them to you. Sell them to sell, you. No, yeah. I'm not going to give them yeah. to you. Know, the way you were saying it. If anyone wants the tickets, you can have them. No, we're not made of money. Believe that. We need to pay for a holiday. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you, if you are lucky enough to go, let us know how it is because, you know, to hear those tracks done with an orchestral band at the Royal Albert Hall. I'm so gutted. Don't tell me how it was. <sighs> Don't tell me. Anyway. I'm such um, a dickhead. So the Asian underground scene, um, you know, it still flourishes, I guess, to this day. But at the same time as the Asian underground movement started to make a real name for itself in the late 90s, we also had Bhangra artists that were mixing other vibes of urban music into their sound. You mean like Punjabi MC? Specifically <laughs> Punjabi MC. I thought we weren't going to talk about this song. Well, we're not going to be talking about that song, that specific song. Okay. We, I, well, I say that. We we probably have to touch on it because if without beating around the bush is probably the most important British Asian track of all time. <laughs> Fine. Do you know what? I don't have a problem with the song. I have a problem with that being the only song that's ever discussed. Yes. Yeah. That's why I'm like, let's just... let. I mean, we just it's a given, so let's just not talk about it. Well... Okay, so we spoke about this on episode three uh, of last season. Mundia the Bachke is a track that we're obviously talking about here. Uh, and that we do love the track. As who doesn't love that tune? Um, but... You know, our issue was why is it the only track that's been used uh, when, especially with describing Asians in the UK or adverts or TV programs, it's like the only track ever used. And, you know, the point we're making is we've got so many other, like we've already spoken at length about a whole number of tracks in the last 40 minutes or so. So, you know, we've there is more to our culture than Mundia Tabachke. Yeah. Um, but it is the biggest track of this entire our entire lifetime of is that british just because jay-z jumped on it is that why no i no i don't I th the, the jay-z thing for me only really or the, the only thing it did for me was take it outside of the uk to parts of the world where it could never reach if you're talking about the uk that track was humongous from when it first came out and legalized all the way to this day, and no one ever plays a Jay-Z version. I never hear that being played anywhere, apart from like if they're trying to showcase it on some American channel or something. Mm. 
you know, it's the it's the Knight Rider sample really that made that tune. It was the Knight Rider tune for years before it actually became mainstream. You used to hear it at weddings yeah, all the exactly. time as the Knight Rider tune. Yeah, and, and for me, because I'm Gujarati and I didn't understand what the hell we was talking about, <laughs> it was always the Knight Rider tune. It's the Knight Rider tune. And you know when that comes on, you're obviously going to get on the dance floor because it's a, such a huge, huge track. Yeah. So, you know... We could probably we could talk about this track at length, but uh, we're not going to. No, because I think there is more to our culture than that one tune. Yeah, you know. I mean, look at all the songs that we've already spoken about. Exactly. Um, we still got a whole load more to come. Yeah, we, we certainly do. Um, but you know, during that time period, you had you know, then all of a sudden you saw the rise of like the new wave of British Asian Bhangra producers. Yeah, because we saw like kind of like Bali Sagood kind of set that stall in the early nineties. And then you had guys kind of, you know, taking like rhythms from American hip hop tracks yeah. and just using those beats and just having like Bhangra singers singing over them. And there was a good like five year stretch of like everyone doing that. DJ Sanj, B21, Senator, um, Punjabi Hit Squad, yeah. like so many guys during that time period, um, you know, that were just, we were just jacking tracks from like American timberland instrumentals and like do you mean like dre instrumentals and stuff and then just having a, a tumbi on there and basically a punjabi singer and that was like these were like massive tracks of that time period i think my favorite like fusion was bangra with garage yes that is like that was a whole happy era of music and and i'll tell you why i None of this is like, you know, acceptable really. But I think it Why was Why not? That was our life though, isn't it? It was like we yeah. were listening to garage or we were listening to hip hop and then we were also, you know, listening to Bangla at home. And so why not? If it works, then why not do it? No, I think for, if it was like some of those tracks weren't original garage productions, they were lifted off famous garage tracks and just having a bunga singer on there. But no, because we've been doing that for years. Exactly. Though. But that's but it's not, it doesn't make it right. We used to complain. Well, I used to always hate when uh, Bollywood tracks would basically just take an English tune and just redo it with Hindi lyrics and just pass it off as a brand new track on the Bollywood soundtracks. And I think, why the fuck are they doing this? Why can't they come up with their own original compositions? It was so badly done by them. That's why. <laughs> it was really badly done. Whereas, you know, there was some like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to cut straight to it. Aja Mahi by RDB <laughs> featuring Mets and Tricks is a tune and it will remind me of Sixth Form forever. Yeah. And it was so much fun, that song. Yeah. But look, I'm, I, I can't sit here and say those tunes weren't all like tunes. They were all bangers. All of those tracks were bangers. But if I if I put my sensible hat on, you know, there would be a part of me that thinking it would have been great if we'd had some original tracks that were like, that, that was completely our own. It wasn't stuff that was lifted from this place and lifted from that place. I'm a big fan place. of Ipsy Dipsy La La Po. <laughs> Shout out to Mets and Tricks. One of my, you know, th this it was around this era that um yours truly decided to pick up a pen and start are you inspired by medicine tricks well do you know what with medicine tricks it was not inspired i definitely was inspired because at the time i was just like really like these I, guys? i'm gonna be honest i wasn't a big fan of medicine tricks but you know what do you know what, okay so when we're talking about a lot of that mcs and stuff in the in, in the latter part of this show you know, but one of my first gigs was a gig with Mets and Tricks. Um, you know, and uh, we were there. Um, you know, shout out to the executive Sanjay Sanj. That's how that's how I made my name and how I got out there. 
um, and me and my brother Akuma were MCs for him. And we did a gig in Southampton and Mets and Tricks were also performing. And do you know what? I always, did, you always have these preconceived notions on what people are actually like. And like they'd always come across as like a couple of like pricks on all their videos. I was like, these guys, man, fuck Mets and Tricks. And they actually meet the guys and they're actually good dudes. They're actually really nice guys. I think Tricks at the time uh, was saying that he was just boning some girl in Cambridge the night before. His words, by the way. I mean, um, he. I think he used to be boning girls in pretty much every university that there ever was. Yeah. Because every time I spoke to someone, they'd said that they had been hit on by Mets or Tricks Big up. at that point. Awesome. From all around the north. Well, there you go. They, they, they certainly <laughs> left their mark. Um, you know, in, in various. Do you know what? If you're young and you're having a good time and you're being safe, yes, then why not? Be sensible, people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but medicine, like I said, they at that time period they were superstars. You know, as were RDB. You know, RDB were amazing. They were always at Newcastle Miller every year with E equals MC. Big up E equals MC. I again yes. another boy that used to hit on a lot of girls that I knew, um, and. It was fun times. Newcastle Miller was oh, a vibe dude. back then. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> but it, and this probably still is to this day. Shout out to Sandeep and the crew. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was there was a lot of like, the, yeah, the Bungara garage. And you had like, do you remember MC like uh, G.I. Jut? <laughs> um, oh my God, I forgot about G.I. And, and, and Rhythm Rider. <laughs> Rhythm Rider, was, I think, was my favorite from that time period. Oh my yeah. God. I want to I want to shout my boy HMC, big up my boy HMC. Um, you know, great guy, brilliant guy, still MCing to this day. Um, but you know, that time period, all of a sudden, you have these rise of these kind of gar garage bunger MCs. Brilliant, lightning amazing. MC as well. Um, but yeah, it was just like I said, it was a whole new sound, bunger and garage uh, mixed together. And um, bunger gets you on the dance floor. Garage gets you on the dance floor. Yeah. It was a match made in heaven. It, it really if you was. wanted to party. Yeah. Um, shout to Petta Cooper as well. She uh, suggested RDB. A couple of years later, all of a sudden, we were still getting Asian artists, still mixing things with urban music. But now we were finding a new sound. The rise of Asian R&B. Yes. And it had a moment. It it had a Small real moment. moment. You know, yeah. during this period, all of a sudden, if you noticed, by about two thousand and two, two thousand and three, yeah, all of a sudden, it was cool to be Asian. Yes, it very much was across the whole of the UK. All of a sudden, you saw like Indian summer seasons all over the, the TV. Selfridges at a big Bollywood festival happening uh, over that uh, over the summer of two thousand and two. Uh, Muneta Bachke was finally released well not finally released but released mainstream and it became massive uh, all over Europe and the world Yeah, and then we had a clutch of artists that touched the mainstream by making the music that they wanted to make and fusing it with urban culture mm -hmm. and so you had Jay Sean on one side and you had Raghav on the other side. And many a time were they confused by white people. <laughs> yes. They look nothing alike. Nothing at all. But we yeah. all look the same. We all look the same in their <laughs> eyes. Um, so, okay. So, we should really, um, when it comes to Jay, we really should 
absolute Rishi Rich. The Rishi Rich Project. Yes, specifically the Rishi Rich Project. Uh, you know, Rishi had obviously done uh, productions uh, with Too Cool. Shout out to my boy Sandeep Tilva, who was also part of Too Cool back in the 90s. And Don D, who also suggested oh, yeah. Too Cool. Don D, my brother, actually suggested them um, to, to, for us to mention them. Big up Too Cool. Um, but the Rishi Rich Project really took Rishi to a whole new level. Um, you know, because they had he had like Ney Lagada and big tracks yeah, of that yeah. with with uh, oh God, that was such a with tune. Don and and Jaggi. Um, but the project once they got the backing of two point nine or do point no, do point no. All of a sudden, we were seeing Asians on top of the pops again. Yep. And the uni tours. Oh my God, the uni tours are so good. Yes, I saw them about four or five times when I was at uni. I think. Big up. Good times. Yeah. Really good times. My first night ever night out in London. Right. Was to go and see Rishi Rich Project. Was it? And it was one of the best nights I've ever had out. It was so much fun. Sick. I sick. danced all night. And then nearly cried when I saw Jaggy because <laughs> if you know me, if you know me, if you've known me for a while, there was an era of my life where Jaggy was the love of my life. Beautiful. He it was before you. I can accept that. Actually, you'd already come into my life at that point. But was I, it? Yeah, but okay. I d was like, uh, who, whatever, trying to rap. And so, but I, st I still loved Juggy very much. Big up Juggy D. Like, Juggy, like, I think was the first kind of, you know, like, British Bhangra guy that really took it, took himself to a whole new level, um, mainstream-wise. Yeah. Um, because you know you you'd had artists that were kind of fusing things, but you know you track a track like Sonier is an out and out bungra track. It's on my list. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs ever of all time. Yeah, I love it. Great production. You know Rishi backing him up, and I guess the three of them, the Rishi Rich Project, Jay Rishi and Juggy, they honestly took that sound and uh, you know carried it on their back and just basically went around the world with it and the bangers that these guys put out is just yeah it's like a who like a who's who of the biggest british asian tracks Jackie of all time album was just awesome yeah it was it was just so many good songs on that album and then obviously rishi's album as well yeah um just like mind-blowingly good yeah and also actually jay's first album yep i have it yeah it was someone recorded it for me what? onto cd copied it onto cd for oh me my i don't even have the original version is i've got the cd copies. that is copy. illegal jojo b that's a crime no it was a friend who copied it from their cd onto my oh, okay, a blank okay. one for okay. me so okay. he had bought it right. and then he recorded it for me right, and it so what, about, what, what times. happened to that supporting british asian artists and like buying you know, them at purchasing this point, these things like, i had just properly. moved to london and i was on eleven thousand pound a year trying to pay rent Right. Shout to the minimum wage crew. So no, <laughs> basically, <laughs> I supported them by going to spend what I should have been money for food. Mm. I went out to nights out instead to see these guys. Mm -hmm. That's how I supported. Yeah. And then I got free CDs. He got Bobby and Nihal for giving me the free CDs quite mm. often. <laughs> or I Scranger. got people to record them for me. I was on eleven thousand pounds. Thank you very much. I paid my rent. I paid all my bills. I'm, you know, had a good time, <laughs> and I lived on eleven thousand pound. Times times were very very different back then. Two thousand and four. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So like, dance with you is probably the big track from that time period. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Jay had a, amazing tracks after that. Eyes on you, 
um, uh, Stolen, Big Tune. Yeah. Um, but I think Dance With You was like that real, it just, everything about it just clicked. Like the production, Juggies, Punjabi lyrics and the singing, yeah. Jay's R&B. Yeah. It, every, it, just, it was just a perfect blend of everything that is British Asian. Yeah. And I think they're the artists that I've seen live the most out of everyone. And I've been to so many gigs and seen lots of people like a number of times, mm. but they're the people that I've seen the most yeah, fair play. Fair play. Because they're just, they were just everywhere at one point. They were yeah. everywhere. And again, you know what? They're good guys. You know, I'm lucky enough to um, share stages with a few of them over yeah. the course of time. The first time uh, I met Rishi, really good guy back in the early 2000s. Uh, first time I met Juggy was that same time period, really good guy. First time I met Jay, um, they, they had a show on Kiss 100. And uh, they played my track with Sanj on their show. So I was like, you know what? I wanted to do the nice thing and go up to them and thank them for playing this. So I went to Jay and I was like, you know, thank you, my Swami Barakas. You played that track. He was like, oh, yeah, the track was Sanjay Sanj. And I was like, cool. So do you want to battle? Because he used to rap. He used to rap, yeah. But he just, he just laughed and he was like, no, nah, I'm just, you know, I'm just having a cool time. I was like, I'm only joking, but it is what it is. I'd have probably met them, them still. Outside Legends Nightclub. In Newcastle, yeah. after seeing them perform in 2003, 2002, mm. around that time. Um, and they were really lovely. Yeah. And then I met them again when I used to go to Bombay Bronx. Yes. Nihal's night. And they all used to hang out there. It was like the hangout place of all the celebs. Yeah. Including Raghav. Including Raghav. Now, okay, so when we talk about Raghav, we're not talking about someone that is British Asian. But... The majority of his career, musically, I guess, was based here. Yes, he was only famous really here. Well, you know, he's, <laughs> I think he made a, a big name in Canada amongst the, uh, the communities out there. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe. But yeah. Um, it's when he started working with Mushtaq and that sound, that Asian R and B sound, I think really like catapulted him into the mainstream i was a huge fan huge fan of raghav yeah well who wasn't a big fan of raghav and that was the thing it was at the same time and there was i guess it was media that put put these two guys against each other jay sean and raghav and you had to be it almost felt like you had to be in one of the two camps but i was like like why can't there be space for like a multitude of asian r&b singers at that period why does it have to be one against the other because um god forbid we do well yeah, exactly <laughs> Basically. there's only space for one of you ethnics up on this it's spot same, it's like what they do with women is they pit them against each other yes it's it's the same thing yeah they just used to you know there's a minority yeah let's pit them against each other they're trying to do something similar we can't you know encourage more exactly we have to you know let them fight it out to the death yeah but Aragav, i was I was like, I mean, his album again, yeah, Storyteller, brilliant, brilliant. has so many tunes on it. Yeah. Well, he obviously, So Confused was the first track that really, that we really heard him. Yes. Um, and, but it's only when I saw him, I think when he did his, his first track, Can't Get Enough. Mm. And then it was like, oh my God, it's an Asian guy. Because I didn't, it didn't click to me that this guy was actually yeah, yeah, Asian. Yeah. Because yeah, if you listen to that in like Angel Eyes. Yeah. It's. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily know that he's an Asian dude. Yeah. Obviously, but once the once you hear the production on like, you know, once he started working with Mushtaq and there was the elements of the Asian sound 
in the R&B tracks that he put out that it was like, oh, right, okay, so there's a, here's a guy that's embracing his culture yeah. and his roots, but also with this really contemporary R&B sound. Yeah. Um, and it was it was the best of both worlds almost in a way. And again, brilliant tracks, brilliant album. I, oh, yeah, I was a big fan. A big, big fan. But I do... <laughs> You know how you're like you're a fan of someone, you should just never meet them. <laughs> okay, yes. So, and I know he's. I, I've heard from so many people that he's a lovely guy, but he my is a lovely guy. One interaction that I had with him, I was like, "What a prick!" Because <laughs> I was in a conversation. I was at Bombay Bronx again. I used to go there every month. I was talking to my friend called Jayshree, who was stunning. Right. Mm. I understand why this might have happened. But I was like, how rude. Um, I was having a conversation with Jayshree. We're standing in front of each other, having a conversation. He literally just came and stood in between us with his back to me and started trying to chat her up. Wow. And Jayshree just went, I'm talking to someone and just kind of pushed him out of the way. And I was like, "That's because I used to get really starstruck. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what Raga's like. Oh. And I was really disappointed. Oh, no. I was really, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think with Bronx, you know what? Like I, I remember the first few times I used to go to Bombay Bronx. It, I just say not starstruck, but it was like, oh my god, look at all these artists and producers and stuff. But everyone was smashed, and everyone was just having a good time. Yeah, I, I went. I used to go to Bronx from the very beginning, mm -hmm. and there was just this like really lovely, cool, creative vibe when you went there, and everyone was just very relaxed. And so yes, they were all doing, trying to do very, very well in whatever fields they were in, because there's people from all sorts of kind of part of the media and stuff yeah. and I had just started working in the media and I was like oh my god this is my people this is where I belong I work in television and these people all work in the creative fields and I love you all and uh, then I just was really shy so I just never really got to know anybody because <laughs> I, I, all my main friends come in London come from that yeah. place but there were never any of those like really kind of big shot types because <laughs> yeah. I was just really shy look at that yeah, I got introduced to Jackie. I couldn't speak. Right. And then uh, Nihal was like, I'm never introducing you to anyone ever again. <laughs> yeah, you let the side down. Yes, very much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Raghav, like, like, he's a really good guy, really nice guy. Um, well, I hope he can redeem himself from that. Yeah, well, you know, we'll invite <laughs> that, him onto the show. That one interaction time. I had with him in somewhere around 2005, 2006. Yeah, you don't hold on to grudges that long, do you? It was only 15 years. <laughs> fuck's sake when we were all like young and you know innocent and gullible and naive and now we're all just <laughs> old and parents and shit do you know what i mean yeah i suppose you know um, get over it now. yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah jay Shaw and Raghav, that was a really that was a really great period for asian music it was a really exciting time yeah really because i was like we're gonna put ourselves on the map here yeah you know we make good music we matter yes <sighs> we were a phase yes you know, for me, like you look about that time, and it's sad to think that we actually peaked as a as a as an industry, as a British Asian music industry during that sort of two three year point. Like since then, we've kind of the the industry kind of has grown, but it's never reached those heights in amongst British pop culture. I will always maintain that we were on the ascendancy. Then 9-11 happened. Mm. Then we had a couple of good years after that as well. Yeah. But the fear of us remained. And so that was that that's what cut us off. I always felt like that animosity towards us as a community mm. is what cut off that potential that we had. 
I've always okay, felt that. That's, that's a, that's because then seven seven happened as well, and that would that really yeah. Over the course up. of like yeah, over the course of a two three year stretch, you know, it it wasn't cool to be Asian all of a sudden. No, <laughs> you know, it, it really went from wasn't. being really cool to be Asian to like oh, you know, let's keep as far away from the Asians as possible. Um, and you know, to the, it worked out to the detriment of uh, a lot of great talented artists. Um, and I know one in particular that you really liked during that era was Jag. Yes. So I heard Jag for the very first time on Trevor Nelson's show. Mm. What they used to do on Radio 1. And I was like, Jag? This sounds like an Indian name. Mm. What? This? I just, but his voice was so not Indian anyway. There was no Asian sound to his music. Yeah. It was just the music that I truly love, which is R&B. And especially at that time, British R&B yeah. was just like a beautiful thing that was happening. Yeah. And he had this amazing voice. And I was like, I need to investigate more. Mm. So I went off, found out that he was Asian. And I used to be part of something called the message board. <laughs> now... These, you know, in the bygone era, there yeah. used to be a thing called message boards. It wasn't done via Twitter and stuff in those days where you could join on Radio 1. They would have these boards where you could just talk about music and they had different ones with different genres. Yeah. So I used to be on the Bobby and Nihal message board. And I went, <laughs> I'm still very bitter about this. There's a lot of things. Too long, <laughs> There's a lot of things that I'm bitter about from those days. I went on there and I was like, oh my God, just come across this guy called Jag and he's amazing. How come you guys haven't played him? nothing mm. not no acknowledgement usually they used to reply yeah, right? yeah no acknowledgement whatsoever two weeks later they're like oh yeah we found this new guy called jag and he's on our show <laughs> now and i was like what the actual fuck oh, dear. and then and then i remember people posting going i'm pretty sure jothi messaged about this a few days like a, a few, couple of weeks ago what's going on like, here what see tumbleweeds yeah, kind of nothing forming. nothing <laughs> anyway jag very good i don't know what happened to him but that was some crazy potential that just got lost yeah yeah take you there was probably the big track for him um i remember seeing that time at bronx he performed um an acoustic yeah. set there brilliant absolutely amazing really good his voice was just so good yeah very smooth and you know i, I think he, he did some collaborations with like cray twins i saw in like you know in recent years but with the right backing, uh, the right production, the right management, um, we had a potential superstar on our hands, um, and unfortunately, didn't end up being the case. But yeah, by the time it got to the mid two thousands, you know, we saw. Um, for me personally, like you had someone like Jag that was incredibly inspirational. For me, acts like Foreign Beggars, you yeah. know, Orifice Volgatron. Um, is like I've said many times before, is the best Asian rapper in the UK, in my humble opinion. Yep, hands down. Um, and obviously Riz, Riz MC, you know. Post 9-11 blues came out during that same period. You know, we're yes. talking about the, um, yes. you know, talking about that the, the absolutely. Um, to, and then obviously we've spoken about Riz and the Foreign Beggars on Tom Robinson's show on Six Music. So we won't delve into them too much. Um, but again, two real seminal um you know gr hip hop acts that were asian you know and for me like i said i was now starting to make a name for myself getting into you know rapping and starting to do a, a few little bits by myself you know because at the time i'm thinking i don't think still anyone wants to hear an asian person rap but then you see guys like orifice volgatron and you see people like riz mc you see people like usman 
from the Sona family. Oh, yeah, you know, mine. yeah, he was he was doing tracks with people like Klashnikov and stuff, you know, during that time period. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden you're seeing a new rise of rappers of an Asian origin here in the UK. And then I, you know, I started getting involved in more music and I realized there was a whole crop of us, you know, <laughs> coming around the same time period of the mid 2000s and we will talk about that era after this short break. To the third part of the Native Immigrants podcast. This has turned into some kind of epic history of. Yeah, this is like this is the the the, the podcast that they'll revert back to as the you know an encyclopedia or an almanac of all British Asian music content. Watch how we get so many responses about people people saying, oh, "But you forgot about this person and that person," and we probably have forgotten about loads of people. Most of them were probably friends of mine, to be honest. You know, what about me? Like, yeah, exactly. Where was I, blood? Like, why are you? How are you going to forget about me, fam? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love you, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right. So now we're hitting the mid two thousands at this point, um, and we're still seeing big. Bunga tunes at this point. Mm-hmm. Something like a Dr. Zeus. Gangana. Gangana, huge, huge track. Oh my God, I love that song so much. Yeah. It brings back so many happy memories, that song does. Yes. Uh, massive, massive tune. Um, and it also, it's not a Bangana song, but Disco 82. What the <laughs> My fuck? DJ Akil. I went through a stage of loving DJ Akil and anything that he did. Right. Okay. Just so many good remixes. Random, but okay. <laughs> Um, pure cheese um, but like you know like Zeus obviously uh, had a girl group at that time period oh god Haterade no Haterade right okay right I'm gonna clear this up right go so we're here. talking about Rouge go for it here we're talking about Rouge there was another one what was the other one called the other group oh um what were they called? Cerise? Cerise. Yes. Right, okay. So I had a problem with both of these, but mostly with Rouge because at least Cerise attempted this. No, I saw them live and they, not only did they lip sync, but they lip synced off, off stink. <laughs> they were out of sync. Uh, plenty, of pe- plenty of people lip sync on stage. Yeah, lip syncing, whatever, but at least try and do it so it's believable. Mm. And so I was like, no. Sorry. Oh dear. No, it's not for me. Do you want another glass of hater right there? Shut shall your I, face. Shall I fill up that glass of hate No. Rate? But that song is undeniably catchy. Yeah, exactly. And as much as I hated it at the time, now it just brings back a lot of memories that are happy memories. But at the time, I just hated the song. Plus, they were all ping. And I think that's kind of caught the eye out. No. Yeah. No, I am not one of those girls that hates pretty girls. Mm. No, I really don't. Mm. I really don't. And us, they were all really intelligent. They weren't like dentists and stuff. Or was that Cerise? I can't remember. Yeah, maybe. No, maybe but they were all like doctors and, and dentists and things That's like that. That's probably what I never like heard amazing of again because they're all like... Because they're making money. <laughs> they're, <yeah. laughs> they're making real money, doing real jobs. Um, 
uh, yeah, checking prostates or operating on uh, ingrowing toenails. I'm making that moolah. Making that moolah, indeed. Um, but yeah, the, by the time we got to the mid-2000s, uh, there was a new wave. <laughs> yes, there was. A new wave of... And what was that wave called? <laughs> uh, this the, the 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 coined term came a long time after. Yes, it did. Yes. You know, uh, which we will touch on. But there was <laughs> one act that came out during this time period mm-hmm. that um, was another rebel. And what we've noticed when we're talking about a lot of the big acts that have been able to you know, transition into the mainstream, a lot of them have been re- rebels rebelling against society rebelling against the movement but still like upholding their cultural roots and having elements of that in their music i think i know who you're talking about here Mm. i think i might be a rather large fan yes yes indeed you are uh i think it might be m.i.a yes it is (gasps) m.i.a she is she is the only she that is making this happen Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's one of very few women mm. who were out there doing this. Yeah. With a brown face, mm-hmm. and she is in the urban arena. Yeah. You know, like she's she's just and then, and again, I've heard people say that she is culturally appropriating music mm-hmm. because she shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Is basically what I heard from someone once, and I was really offended because she is making the kind of music that she wants to make. And it's not even really obviously kind of derivative of anybody else. It's it's quite a unique sound to her. Yes. And I remember when I first heard Galang, mm. just thinking like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And just being completely fascinated by somebody who could come up with this and needing to find out more. And like... I just, I mean, I think Galang is the song that really stands out for me mm-hmm. as like the song that um, first introduced me to MIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Bad Girls is the tune in it. <laughs> yeah, Bad Girls is, is the tune. <laughs> when I first heard Galang, I was literally like, what the fuck is this shit, if I'm honest? Oh, I thought, no. what is this bollocks? Um, because I guess I'm, by this point, I'm like a heavy, heavy hip hop head. Yeah. You know, I have been now for the decade before this. Yeah. Uh, it probably, I've not even reached its peak yet. I'm still an even bigger hip hop head year by year. But, you know, now I'm seeing an Asian person again on television and it's like, oh, wow, an Asian person on TV, but it, she's talking complete bollocks. And so what, what does any of this mean? What is this style of music? What is this? And I was, it's almost like a narrow minded way of looking at, you know, someone that was doing a progressive musical movement and really holding her identity true to her roots and and not being able to see past that thought process. I think she was like, for me, like an amalgamation of all the other things that I... Things? All the other, all the other things, like. All the other things. Um, all the other things that I had been into beforehand. So she had the kind of political message that, say, ADF had. Yeah. She had the not giving a shit and just doing her own thing that maybe like someone like Sonia from Echo Belly had. Yeah, yeah. And then she had 
this whole urban side of things that I was really into and I had been all the way through kind my like life. Kind of like Apache. Yeah. And so she just kind of amalgamated everything into yeah. this like way, like weird, surreal world. And I also love surrealism. Um, like she just kind of brought it all together in one lovely package of colourfulness. Yeah, because she obviously styled a lot of um, her fashion, yeah. the videos. It was very much, um, you know, like the creative director as well as the artist. She had a brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everything about that brand was quite eye-catching at that time period. And I think that a lot of people bought into that. Yeah. And what I like about her is that she hasn't really wavered. Yeah, exactly. Like that if political anything, message if anything, continues. Yeah, if anything, like we recently watched her documentary. It took us ages to finally watch it. Yeah. And then we finally got around to watching it. And she's taken the politicism to a whole new level uh, in that, uh, her making her way into music almost brought her to where she is now, where she is one of the most important people of her community in the world. And being able to like discuss what's happened, what was happening in Sri Lanka, especially during that time period where there was the massive civil war um, and so many war crimes happening, atrocities, pretty much genocide. Um, and no one was hearing about this in the West. And she was the voice. She was that spokesperson uh, to the ire of so many people here. You know, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And there as well, and in Sri Lanka. And in Sri Lanka, exactly. Very dangerously so in, in Sri Lanka. Absolutely. But she didn't hold back, you know, and it, whether musically or as a spokesperson, um, she's, you know, been able to transcend all that. And she took her, her responsibility as a Sri Lankan very very much to heart and you know used her platform as an artist to to convey that message across a global scale and i think that's like it's really important for and i guess it's something that weighs on our shoulders as well that because there's so few asian artists out there that it's, it's the same thing that tan france said actually he said that i'm the only person who is south asian and from the lgbt community in a mainstream arena yeah i'm the only person representing the face of a whole group of people yes and so that re I have, because i have to bear that the whole time i have to bear that in mind that what i say or what i do will reflect not only on me but that whole community yeah yeah and so i have to carry myself and say the things that i say have to represent a whole load of people and that's how she is so she's she's representing the Tamil community mm. from Sri Lanka and she's always kept that in mind. She's always stood by her principle. She's a woman of principle. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And she has kept that. And to the point where it has been slightly detrimental to her mainstream career. Mm, yeah, yeah. But she doesn't care. She hasn't wavered. No, absolutely not. You know, huge respect to MIA. Someone to be really proud of as a British Asian artist in the UK. But as we move on to a new wave of British Asian artists <laughs> once we get past the mid-noughties. Mm. Uh, all of a sudden, a slew of British Asian rappers entered, entered the fray. Now, do you know what? This time period, I feel like, has been a little bit forgotten about today. Oh, it's completely, yeah. And again, if you didn't live it, it just doesn't exist. Like, it's yeah. not something that... We talk about very often and it's not something that is celebrated in any way exactly you know and i don't know why 
the re- what the reasoning for that is because you will like today on like you know all the radio stations and stuff you will hear like bunga tracks from 20 years ago and you'll hear um you know like jay sean tracks or rug of tracks um you know from that time period still played and stuff to this day but whereas this little time period of the rise of british asian rappers um in that industry like it just seems to be a time period where it's almost been brushed under the carpet as if let's leave it to then I don't and know not what dwell it is. on it i do i guess there's like maybe like a fear of hip-hop i don't maybe. know like I don't, I don't know i don't get it i i genuinely don't because there was some real tunes i mean there was a lot of rubbish as well that came out but there was mm. some like real tunes that stay with you that if you heard them at the time you will remember them now yeah yeah it's a certain it's a certain age group you have people now i guess they're all in their 30s yeah uh, late well i'd say i'd say late 20s to late 30s was that was that kind of even early 40s i reckon probably yeah but i think i think the the fan base were people in that age group now yep. and they will remember these tracks and remember yep. that time period um with thunder yeah and it, it just kind of came and came and went in a in a bit of a blur i know it because i lived it um and a lot of my contemporaries did and a lot yeah. of my contemporaries are still out there making music um today mm. and a lot of them aren't and a lot th- of them got government jobs government jobs yeah <laughs> they work for um, the man work for the man now instead of the people fuck the man uh, fight the power fuck the man it's a statement <laughs> we haven't said for a long time um but yeah, British Asian rappers started making names for themselves in the mid two thousands. Names like Rackstar, obviously. Keep it undercover. Keep it undercover. What a tune! Yeah, big track in that time period. Uh, Rax is obviously now like pretty much the only British Asian rapper out there. Um, that's that's continued from that time period yeah. to to you know to this day, um, and it's kept very very consistent. You know, like the the kind of music he makes now, I guess, is more poppy. I guess, um, mm-hmm. you know, wide mass appeal. But then every now and then he'll do like a heartfelt, emotional, real hip hop track. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of stuff I'd love to hear more from him. Um, but yeah, guys like AG Dollar. AG Dollar. <laughs> Pick up AG Dollar. Daydreamer. Yes. It was a tune. You know what? I still say, like, My Life in Rhymes, which was his first album or project, mixtape it was really, yeah. is still the best project from that time like from that little period amongst all those rappers i used to have it on cd and i don't know where i've put it yeah i thought it was brilliant not not only because i'm on it obviously but (laughs) like he like it was honestly i was like the production on it loads of different producers on there melzo who who did the uh uh opening theme theme song from the native immigrants podcast last season uh did some production on that project um just a great all-round project uh and again ag had a couple of projects that he put out and then that was it you know it like everything i think that's probably the reason why there isn't the sustainability compared to other um musical artists it's because a lot of these guys myself probably included made music quite extensively during that time period and then just left because you didn't make any money from it yeah. And there's only so much you can fund yourself. Yes. And I think everyone was in the same boat with that. Like they weren't getting much money in, but they were having they were having to put stuff out constantly. And if you think yeah. about the cost of 
and you know kind of recording a track in the studio and then getting it mixed and mastered and all that kind of stuff plus yeah. then trying to make a video because everyone wanted to make videos at that point exactly um that it just adds up and how much do you invest in it for no return exactly yeah, and because yeah. that was at the height of everyone illegally downloading everything all the time yeah yeah so there was no return on yeah the thing is that, like we we would we came up during a period of kind of like dodgy promoters you know shady promoters there was there was, lo there was a lot more nights but they people weren't prepared to put their hands in their pocket and you know yeah no one paid you for anything <laughs> yeah they were like literally chump change for all these gigs um and you know most of them like i remember the early days it was just like cost of travel and and that kind of shit rather than anything else but yeah menace you know i'll include my boy menace in there shush shush, shush is a big track yeah um, and he had a number of other tracks and stuff as well that came out during that time. Shizio, I swear down. Yes. Big up Shizio. Such a tune. There's another guy that I had preconceived notions about. And looking at him and the way he used to handle himself being out and about, I thought, yeah, this guy's a twat. And again, you meet him and he's just like a sweetheart of a dude. <laughs> like, he's such a lovely guy. Like, do you know what? I've got to say, like, I, I'm, I made a lot of friendships and a lot of the contemporaries I had during that time period. Mm. You know, all of these people are nice guys. They're all really good guys, you know, and never judge a book by its cover. And, you know, once, I, once you meet people and you work, I've pretty much worked with all of these guys. Yeah during that time and they're all really lovely lovely dudes see you you all invaded uh bombay bronx mm -hmm. and it became this whole other thing of like a bunch of rappers used to turn up and it just became like an urban thing yeah and i got really pissed off because i was like no where's all my lovely creatives gone yeah the people who work in media who could get me jobs el elsewhere yeah. um and um so i did judge you all <laughs> in you included standard and i was like you know what I want nothing to do. So we went to the same club night for so many years mm. and just didn't speak to each other. Yeah, true. And this club is not very big, so it's really hard to avoid each other, but I managed it. Yeah. Well I done. managed to not speak to anybody that I didn't want to speak to <laughs> and used to have a great time. Um, but then I got to know you all. You were lovely. Exactly. We're all good guys. And I married you. Well, there you go. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You took pity on one of them. Yeah, it was yeah, it was a really a really good time. Loads like list V double E, like dialect, dialect, as a dialect. Oh, good word. guy, good rapper. A dot, yes, um, boys from Chronicle Entertainment. Candyman obviously was a young lad back then. Now he's like Radio One DJ extraordinaire. Yeah. Um, he made it. <laughs> he made it. Yeah, exactly. Driller kid. Oh yeah, Driller. Work with my boy Cami. Um, hardcore. Obviously, she'd been on it for a long time before I spoke before to her then. a number of times at Bronx. <laughs> yeah. And she never remembered the next time that she had spoken to me the previous time. Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always in the girls' toilets. Standard. Standard. <laughs> um, Sona family. There was a lot. There was a lot. Yeah. AC. Obviously, I've got a shout to my boy AC. He is like top three for me. I always used to see him like hustling. He was always selling his yes. CDs like in, in Leicester Square and stuff. Yes. And we are birthday twins. You are born on the same day. Yes, we are. Yeah. And again, consistent. Like from the first time I ever heard him to today, managed to maintain a level of consistency all the way through. He is very, very good. Extremely. I always rated him. Yeah. 
um, Ricks as well. Oh, like this DJ crew. Yeah, all of this DJ crew, yeah. I love that song still. Yeah, I was yeah. playing it to Bubs the other day. Oh, did you? Yeah, he oh, was dancing away. Shout out to DJ Dips. <laughs> uh, Lost Soldier. Forgot Lost Soldier as well. She, that. again, so few females doing this. Yeah. And she was at such a high standard that she was better than most of you boys. She <laughs> is like another level of Brilliant. good. Yeah, very, very good. But yeah, there was a there was a like a name that was coined for this for this uh, time period. Oh, god, I hated this name. Sorry, Shizio. I know you came up with this, but oh my god, I hated this name yeah. so much. So there was like yeah, there, it was a very divisive word. Bourbon is the word that was kind of used to to um, that. I guess Shizio Shizio came up with it, and it was used to kind of describe brown urban and encompassed a lot of us, a lot of these artists. At the time, for me, it was more a, a supportive network amongst all the artists. You know, I wasn't big on names or any one name. It was a case of artists supporting each other in order to progress. Because if we don't progress together, then, you know, any one component can hold that back. Uh, and so hence the reason why I was, I was always like, you know, yeah, let's, let's run with this. Um, but there was a lot of confusion with how, was, the, was it a genre did it did it was it a word that described a group of artists um you know what was it specifically and i guess people got caught up in that confusion um and you know sometimes the label a term could be detrimental as well at the same time yes this is my problem with it was that you are then creating a subgenre instead of trying to my my point was always that you guys should have tried to infiltrate like the kind of the the urban scene like mm. you should be you are part of the urban scene you're yeah. not an other mm. yeah. you are part of the urban scene you are not defined by your brownness yeah you know like you were making music that could have been listened to by anybody yeah, yeah. mostly I and mean, some people who are kind of putting the asian influence and in whatever but like mostly it was just you guys just on a straight beat rapping mm, yeah. <laughs> you know like it, there wasn't anything asian about it and that's what my problem with the whole term was was that then you become like this kind of subgenre that you can ignore mm, and i yeah. and i was like if you don't want to be ignored then you don't do that to yourselves mm, yeah um but i guess you know what it was it was like we talk about people embracing their identity and and like really championing their identity yeah you know all the a lot of the acts that we spoke about already on this show I've been people that have just like taken their roots to their chest and then just showcased it to the world. And I guess that's what um, what Shiz had in mind. It was like, people are going to call us Desi or people are going to call us Urban Desi. Why don't we just take back like the whole genre and, and this is us and this is who we are and how we proud we are, the fact that we are Asian and we're making urban music. So I could understand his logic behind it. Mm. But I guess, you know, once you put a label on anything, it then limits yourself down to a very small bubble, whereas the possibilities with music are potentially endless. Um, so it was a it was a phrase that was coined. Um, it didn't last very long, obviously. No, it was trying to revive a, mo uh, a movement that had started to die. Stutter. Yeah. yeah, it was starting to start towards the end because um, the l less and less artists were making music at that point because all of a sudden um radio decided that um asian rap and rappers and stuff wasn't something that they held quite highly on their playlists and they were going to focus more on bollywood and bhangra 
That was the time when Asian Network basically said that we're not going to play anything unless it has an Asian sound to it. Basically, yes. Um, uh, And so, you know, a lot of the guys were like, well, you know, if if there's no money to be made for music, then we're just going to find alternative ways to to make a living, you know? And, um, you know, most of the guys, that's what they ended up doing. The guys that carried on were guys that decided to focus wholly on trying to, you know, instill an Asian sound into their into their music it's just a shame that that's what happened that that's how everybody you know it was either like give up completely or go down this very narrow road that and you don't have a choice basically because otherwise you won't get paid you won't you won't get any airplay yeah and that's it's it's sad because it it kills creativity because then you then you're then all of a sudden from an artistic point of view you're only making music that's going to be played for radio you know, you, you're making music for the wrong reasons. There was a whole movement of music that came out around that time and a little bit afterwards, which was all just based on YouTube and people just gathering their, you know, their fan bases from mm-hmm. the internet. Yeah. And I don't think that the Asian crowd actually capitalised on doing that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, potentially. Um, yeah. In the way that, say, like the grime the original grime yes, crew yes they they all did that yes um and made their names and then went on to make money afterwards yeah for, by doing that i don't think that the asian lot were prepared to do that no and i think towards towards the end of that time period there was you found less and less support amongst your peers as well well this is what i mean this is why we started this podcast was that that whole conversation of yeah. we don't support each other exactly exactly and and that you know fan base the asian fan base is so fickle yeah that you know we'll just move straight on to the next thing yeah yeah and the mainstream thing yeah exactly yeah you know rather than pop culture yeah yeah, rather than and i'm not saying you should support someone just because they're asian because they have to do something good Hmm. but it's that lack of support even when someone is doing something good yeah yeah exactly yeah no like i said there's there's an umpteen number of reasons why there's not that same level of artists because we spoke about that show about about pop culture and and asian rappers uh last season and um you know now this should have been like 20 30 40 asian rappers from the uk making a name for themselves um on that same level but you know because that scene kind of died down you didn't see that immediately so it it feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity Mm. um you know we're starting to see a little bit more of it now but you know, by this point, it should have been, you know, leaps and strides. And I think the reason it wasn't was because, you know, platforms decided to close themselves off from that musical, you know, movement. Unfortunately, as well, it was kind of coincided with a time where a lot of the radio stations decided that they weren't going to have specialist shows anymore. Yeah, as well. And those specialist shows were the ones that really um, pushed the smaller artist. Yes. um, Massively. And that's in, in any genre all of the specialist shows used to do that within their own genres. And I think that has really hit a lot of people yeah, very yeah. hard, but especially show so with the Asian artists. I yeah, think. absolutely. But from that time period, there have been a few kind of guys that have stood out and, and still maintain themselves and making music to this day. Um, not rappers as such, but, you know, I remember a young Arjun, back then you know starting to make a name for himself he performed at my charity gig that i <laughs> yeah, did exactly. i did a fundraiser for the ms society and he 
just turned up and sang. Yeah. And yeah. now that would cost me a lot of money. I it would indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> very, you know, very chuffed for him and his success. Absolutely. You know, much, much credit to him. He, he had a, he, there was, there was something about him even from back then. Yeah. You know, did, I did a few tracks with him, obviously, in, during that time period. Um, and yeah, he's managed to maintain that and take, taking his brand uh, globally and become a, become a real true star. Yeah, he had um, star quality from the start. Yes. I guess guys like Mumsy are still out there today making a yes. name for themselves. Mumsy, uh, you know, yeah. and he's got people like Nish uh, and, and Lion, young protégés that are making names for themselves that have come out from there as well. Yeah. Um, but there is there is there is one artist, I guess, that that transcended all of that during that time period. The one kind of big star of the late 2000s. Um, not necessarily a rapper, mm. but very Punjabi mm-hmm. in terms of the musical content, but the sound was epic, epic production, epic songs, and epic movement. I'm looking at you really confused too. This gentleman's name is Imran Khan. Can we claim him though? He's well, Dutch, isn't he? He is Dutch, but again, a lot of his work and a lot of his name much like Raghav was made here Mm. and it's from here that he became a global success okay yes it's very true and he has some bangers absolutely huge bangers um you know he's yes he's Dutch but I'd like to think the UK is what really solidified him as a star um and that album I I still feel is sonically mixing mastering production wise is like is the, probably the best it's album. It's stunning. It's stunning. I I genuinely like what <laughs> I was working at Spice FM when this album came out. Yeah. And they got me to listen. I was the music. I was a new music person, so I introduced new music to the station all the time. Yeah. And they were like, "This is coming. Listen to it." I listened to it, and I was like. I don't know if this is nonsense or if it's genius. And then the more I listened to it, I was like, this is genius. And I swear, we played at least one track from that album every day on the breakfast show that I did. Mm, It was brilliant. Amplifier is an awesome song. Yeah. But you know what's even better? Bounce (laughs) Bill. That song. Yeah. Is an epic party tune. It, it, what the, that whole album is littered with epic tunes. Like the, every track on there is pretty much a banger, um, and and so it's literally a different vibe on each tune. And they just it, it it just is a complete. It's a complete project. Remember when you walked out with Ahmed Khan? Huh? <laughs> Remember when Ahmed Khan the boxer walked out? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And Imran Khan walked out with him. Oh, when was that? He was, was one, of his, one, of, one of, of his fights. One of his fights. Oh really? my god, it was just so epic. Damn, big up. And then he had a snake. Oh yeah, in the Bail Bail Far video. Yeah, that, that again. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> Didn't he have the snake when he walked out with him as well? I have to find this clip and show it to you. Yeah, seriously, it's so funny. Must have completely bypassed me. Oh, so epic. But yeah, that was like yeah, a, a massive project. Um, and yeah, that he literally became a star overnight with that album. Um, you know, Nina Chale was that was that the one big track, yes. and then, but then all of a sudden it like you saw that project come out, and it was just like, whoa, the sound is phenomenal, mm. you know. And I think since then a lot of people have tried to, you know, like 
jump on that kind of vibe and that style. So many different artists have kind of tried to make similar tracks, similar vibes. To, and no, no one, no one's really come close. No. I don't even think Imran Khan's come close to Imran Khan from that period. Yeah, because he's tried to do very similar sounding songs since then. Yes. But that album is just... You can't repeat it. No, this is the thing. I think, um, you know, when something touches a space in time and it's so awesome. Um, I mean, the li- oh, let's, not, let's not get it twisted. Some of the lyrics, most of the lyrics are nonsense. Yeah, yeah, there's some bollocks on there. Um, <laughs> like, it just adds to the genius. Yes, I think that's what it is, you know. I think, but it was, it was very unapologetic. Yeah. You know, Amplifier, it, if you like listen to the lyrics... You're like, and especially me as a lyricist, listening to those lyrics, it's like, like how how did this even get the green light? Who 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 signed this off? Oh, it's just how many drugs are smoked for this album to be made? Yeah, but it's brilliant. But that's the thing. It you know some you know it, some things don't need to be deep, fam. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's uh, it just it just is it, it just are epic tunes, big big productions. Good times. You know. From the from the British side of things, I guess H. Darmy started making making a name for himself. Jazz Darmy, oh Jazz Darmy, um, also made a big name for himself as well during that time. The period. original version of High Heels, not the Bollywood version, the original yeah, version yeah, yeah, is so yeah. good. Absolutely, absolutely, um, so good. But a lot, a lot of I love a lot of Jazz Darmy stuff. I think yeah, he's got a great I, voice. Yeah, he's got a great voice. Yeah, great voice, great vibe. Um, he was also another Spice FM favorite. Shout out to Spice FM, man. <laughs> Seems to be the place, obviously. Um, uh, Bungalow-wise, I guess people like JK in Birmingham. Great voice. Uh, you know, I saw him voice. randomly. He was performing in a square in Derby, again in Derby, okay. uh, outside my cousin's wedding, like the hall where she was having a wedding. And we, it was really hot. We went outside and he was just performing outside. Brilliant voice. Different. Yeah, great Different. voice. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, as we come into the, you know, the, the what is this time period now? the 2010s yeah there was a i mean there's like a whole bunch of songs from the noughties that i just don't think fit into a specific category okay but maybe should get honorable mentions okay go for so it. there was a song that really defines my life in the noughties it's called back to my other life and it's by oz and jakey's okay and if you listen to bobby and the Hull show then you'll know this song because they played it a lot and it was just Yes, it's very like era defining for mm-hmm. me. That's so that's one basically. Okay. <laughs> that's one that I don't think fits into any of the main areas that we've okay. mentioned so far. And then how could we forget? In fact, I don't think we did forget, but because he's always there. Our friend Neeraj Chug. Neeraj Chug, yeah. Shout to Neeraj. And the Bengali version of Quab. Yeah, what well, what well, both versions of Quab? uh epic epic tracks but the bengali version i love the most like i don't know i don't even understand bengali but i think it's just it sounds so beautiful yeah 100 percent. and obviously we've got to give him an honorable mention because he has given us the theme tune to the native immigrants podcast yes for the season which is probably the greatest production that he's ever done yes <laughs> i think that's i think that's official <laughs> i think that's i think that's i think that's stamped and approved um yeah, I, so I've been away from kind of the Asian music scene for a little while now. So I haven't really been keeping the tabs of what's been happening, I guess, in the last 
five, six years almost. I've, mm. I've obviously released tracks sporadically since then, but keeping a close eye on what's been happening, um, you know, it's been diff- it's Yeah, it's been difficult to kind of gauge. The, I recently went to that that um, that night um, where I saw some new artists, and I thought, oh, okay, so there's a there's a new crop of really good talented artists coming through. Harris Hamid was one of them from that day. Rita um, Mara. Uh, Rita Rita's kind of my, you know, my era. She's she's my age group. But she's um, still going. Like she's, she's still, still yeah. and she's I feel like she's getting better. Yes. I think some people like, you know, age like a fine wine. Yeah. Cause some people peaked back then. Yeah. Whereas but she, yeah, I don't I think, think she's, she's reached still, her peak yet. She has absolutely she's still on the ascendancy. Exactly. And I think that's great to see. Uh Swati was there obviously also, also that night. Um but you know, I, I I'm like I'm finally getting to hear some really good Asian rappers again. Um, shout out to Jessel who recommended Prems. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Now, good, Prems yeah. came out when back back when we were rapping, yeah. and he was still a young lad back then. Um, but now I think he's like finally found a sound um, that that showcases him amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me about it is a big tune, great production from Ao Beats. Um, there's Jugga as well, really good rapper, Punjabi. Um, there's obviously been a massive rise in that the whole Punjabi rap scene, but I guess that's bigger in Canada and and India more than it has in yeah. terms of people here. Yeah. Um, Taz has probably been like the one big kind of guy to come out the last few years, even though he was still around when we were basically back, you know, making music back he then. He was a young and then. He was a young and then exactly, and now he's kind of like taking himself to another level now. Um, but then you've got guys that are not within those Asian circles, guys like. Coombs and guys like B Young who are you know making music amongst the you know amongst the you know GRM Daily and you know Link Up TV and they don't almost don't need a kind of mainstream label or like you know this is the era of the independent artists making a name themselves through through YouTube and streaming and Spotify and you can't forget about probably one of the biggest names out there at the moment producer extraordinaire steel bangles steel bank well if anything you've got to say the asian producer is at an all-time high right now in the mainstream naughty boy naughty boy as the the level and the caliber of people that he's worked with and the tunes that he's put out in the last 10 years are like seminal uk classics the thing is with him is that i've seen him about in a number of events that we've been to and he's like away with the fairies yeah yeah but he is obviously a genius when it comes to being in the studio yes completely because like well first time i met naughty boy we uh he put out a track called black boys with bashi mm. uh back in 2006 2007 bashi's the name that i haven't uh, heard for a while <laughs> there you go yeah and um and we did like an asian version of it called brown boys um, you know, that. the mentor that. kind of put that together. Uh, that was, that was, but that was all approved and okay. Yeah, a bit like one blood. Yeah, um, and uh, and I met him at Bombay Bronx, and you know, I had a good little chat with him then, back then, and I've met him a few times since then. But yeah, away with the fairies is probably. I think, but some of the biggest creative geniuses are pretty much like that. I feel. Creative minds are like that. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Um, but shout out to people like Rude Kid. Shout out to people like Savak, and these are all guys that are producing for the biggest urban artists that are out there right now yeah adp adp as well um it's, it seems to be a really good era for asian producers so it's weird how the transition now has been the pro- the producers are the ones that are the biggest asian artists in terms of the cracking into the 
the big urban circles. Do you think that they should try and push the Asian artist or not? Do you think that's not their responsibility? They are working, still working with Asian artists. And I like, you know, obviously um, Steel Bangles has done productions for a number of artists that are Asian. Savak has done the same. Um, I think Bangles have done a new track with Sudu Musawala and Mist together on a tune, which sounds fucking sick. Yeah, you played me a clip of that the other it's day. Fucking, it sounds really good. It's amazing, you know. Um, so they are still, they are working with these artists. Are, do they need, like, is there a responsibility for them to do more, is what you're trying to say? Yes. For them to showcase more Asian artists? Which is just a general question. It's not a loaded question. I'm not saying that that's what they should be doing. I'm just asking mm. you generally, what do you think? The thing I, I, would, I would say to that is, is there, um, is there enough in terms of a range, wholesale quality of talent to push also into that next level. Yeah, where is the talent? Where is it? This is where the thing. Where are those this people the that thing. we think that are, you know, amazing and that aren't getting enough credit? Where are they? This is the, this is the question, you know? This is the question I put out there to our listeners, in a way. And because I'm like, I would love some suggestions of people that I should be listening to because I am... And I will openly say this, I'm out of touch now because partly because I don't have time. Yeah. And partly because I don't have things like MySpace mm. and stuff like that to find people on anymore. Yeah. And I don't have I don't have enough time in my life. <laughs> I'm not gonna be alive long enough, I don't think, to be able yeah. to spend like, you know, three, four hours of my day like I used to. Yeah. Just searching for people like to go on YouTube and try and do it. Mm. Fuck that. I don't have time for it. So if someone's got some suggestions, send it my way because then I will happily listen. Yeah. I think there's probably like Spotify playlists now which have got like Yeah, and I do use Spotify new music and stuff like that. You know, the new music like playlists to try and find people and listen to people. And that's how I felt I I know he's not he's not um from the UK, but I found Anik Khan that way. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I'm States. a huge fan of his. Yeah. Huge fan. I think he's brilliant. Um so I want people like that, but UK based. The UK based, yeah. I think that I think there is a there is a you know, I see um, you know, like new the the sort of like showcases and stuff they do with new artists that are coming out um in the UK. Um BBC Asian Network Live always has new artists come through every year as part of their lineups. I can't go to events anymore, love. You're, but we're not the age group fam. Yeah, but what I'm saying is I want recommendations. So send me a recommendations. I don't care if I'm not the age group. Yeah. I want to listen to new music. I'm yeah, happily going to listen to that's music. That's the thing. You know, like this is the thing with this show and everything we do. It's about supporting our own. Yeah. And over the course of the last 30, 40 years, the artists that we've been talking about on this show, you know, the only way they've been able to become the stars and the, and the, and the big artists that they've... Um, ended up becoming is from the sport of our communities but we need to maintain that and still do that today with today's younger artists to give them you know uh, an incentive and a platform for them to progress and develop because then how are we all gonna see the next jay sean or the next raghav or the next apache indian you know or the next adf on the mainstream it can only start from our communities being the big support networks to you know, enabling that to happen. I think that all of those people came out of movements and there is no movement at the moment. From what I'm, I'm, but I'm not down with youth culture. I'm not there on the street anymore doing yeah, my yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm not part of that anymore and I will openly say that. So if there is a movement, 
please inform me of it. Yeah, yeah. And because I will, you know, watch from the background. I'm not going to go to Brick Lane anymore <laughs> or wherever the hell it is. Dalston, I'm fucking not going to Dalston, right? <laughs> so, but like, if there's something happening, I want to know about it. I want to I be aware of it. I want to see what the next generation are doing. Yeah. Because yeah. it'd be really interesting because I came through two lots of that yeah so there's yeah. asian like the underground where i was a little bit too young mm. but i enjoyed the music yeah and then there was this whole kind of asian urban scene which i was very much part of yeah. and i was right in the middle of enjoying it and kind of being able to take it all in and yeah. live that life so what's next yeah tell yeah. me what it is and what's going on is there an asian grime scene or whatever like i mean if there's any kind of mumbly shit please don't send it my way because i will not <laughs> listen to that nonsense but if there's some good stuff yeah i want to know well yeah absolutely you know that's like i said this is that's that's what we're that's what we want we want to hear recommendations who do we need to check out for who are the next big stars you know but it can only come from the support of our communities so it, the things that we speak about every single week um you know and the big topics of agenda it, it doesn't it doesn't really change the ethos the ethos is supporting and conversation and discussion and especially music because it's so entwined with our culture it's one of the biggest parts of our culture that the only way things can progress here in the UK is from our own communities supporting young artists talented artists to make a name for themselves because that's how we grow a community. That's how we grow a movement. That's how we grow a scene. So people, let us know. Tell us. Who do we need to check out? We're old now. Educate us. Educate us. Exactly. This is there. You educate us rather than us educating you. We've just given you a history of all like our life. Yeah. And we're old now. We're past it. So Tell and, us yours. Yeah. You know, we, but you know what it is? Most of the people are probably past it and they're like listening to us, reminiscing along with us yeah possibly do we have any young ones listening to us if not then get your younger cousins to listen to this and then tell us and then t yeah exactly exactly <laughs> ask your ask your ask your sons or your daughters oh my god <laughs> oh my god yeah that's where we are now fam that's where we are but oh god i feel so sad fuck's sake. where did my life go <laughs> in the blink of an it's gone by like a flash i don't want to end this on a on a low point no but you know it's been we'll, a good time it has been a good time and we'll end it on a on a happy note a happy farewelly note uh one of the first i i put out yesterday on social farewell media farewelly yeah <laughs> sorry what farewelly note <laughs> it's got late now basically exactly and i'm really so tired now, now we're gonna be chatting on we should probably end this soon. yeah um <laughs> but the, i put out yesterday after we were having our discussion when we were talking about amongst the, the each other about what we want to put across in this show and I said, I'm going to ask people some recommendations. The very first suggestion that I got <laughs> was from my boy K, Mr. K, K Mia. Um, this is brilliant. And this is the track. This is exactly how we'll end the show with his suggestion. <laughs> because I had a conversation for the last, what, two hours or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it feels like five. But like, we've just discussed in real serious depth yeah this is like music scene that it's really like it's been integral to us and yeah. our beings and we're ending the show with this we're ending the show with this because not only is it apt in terms of its title <gasps> oh 
God. But also, it was um, <laughs> it was a track that again transcended culture because it became <laughs> it went viral, and um, honestly, the the levels of people that were talking about it and it was on like mainstream TV. Um, you know, he, he I'm sure he said it to me with a with a little you know tongue in cheek, but I think it's kind of apt. You know, I mean, inadvertently, he was one of the biggest Asian artists. <laughs> Of that year. Of that year. Of that week. Anyway. <laughs> um so that's Big up Bradford. Big up yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> um but we will end this show. He was from Bradford, wasn't he? I don't know. <laughs> it's I was, too late it's to too care. Too late to even care. <sighs> um shout to Danny. <laughs> D4NNY. D4NNY, yeah, sorry. D4D shout to D4NNY. Um <laughs> From me, <laughs> Swami Varekas. What are we doing? And me, Jojo B. It's a goodbye <laughs> <laughs> to the, all the people who've hated on me. <laughs> goodbye to the people who love me. Goodbye to the people who trusted me. Oh, goodbye. God. Goodbye. Everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye to the people who hated on me. Goodbye to the people who loved me. Goodbye to the people who trusted me. Goodbye. Goodbye to everybody. Goodbye to the people who hated on me. Goodbye to the people who loved me. Goodbye to the people who trusted me. Bye. Bye.